I know that you've been in First uh, John for a long time, which uh, I think the Beatles must have read, right? Because they had that song, love, 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 love is all we need, right? And so what do we need First John for when we can listen to the Beatles? Um, we find ourselves in First John 5, and I have three things for us to consider today. My son came down to my study yesterday and he was, uh, he was in there while I was working on this a little bit more, and, and he said, uh, Dad, your sermon, like, sermons have to have three points, right? Like, he's been to church before, so he's realized, like, if you break that rule, then you're just not a good preacher. And so I have three things for us to consider for us today. First of all, the first thing to consider is, because of the love of God, we can love others. Now, we find ourselves in 1 John 5, the first verse says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And so that means that we have within us, if we are in Christ, this capability, this ability to love one another. Now, I know that that's not the first time you've heard that, because I know your pastors pretty well, and I know they haven't missed that as you've already been journeying through 1 John. I know that Chris and Paul haven't missed this reality that you can love other people if Christ is loving you and you are loving Christ. You can uh, exert that same love, that same compassion outward towards others. So, because of that, within these five verses, I actually want to focus our time somewhere else. I want to focus on a different set of verses right in the middle of this passage, these five verses, you see that there's this talk about the commandments. And so John flips the script on us a little bit, and he says, hey, if you're going to love God, if you're going to love others, you have to actually obey my commandments. Which sounds a little like flipping the script, because now he just took love, which should be like this free thing, right, into obedience. And so we're going to talk more about our obedience for the commandments. Here's what's fascinating about this passage. I don't know about you, but how many of you have ever just wanted the Bible to tell you what to do? Like, it would just be great if the scriptures would just say, hey, here's what you should do with your life. That's actually the passage in 1 John 5 today. 1 John says, hey, here's what you're going to do. If you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be propelled outward, if you're going to be commissioned outward to love other Christians, here's how to do it. Obey my commandments. So, let's, uh, let's look at those commandments here in a, mo- in a moment. You can flip over to Exodus 20. So, the reality is, in 1 John 5, we can, we can see that because of the love of God, we can love others. But we can also see in this passage that because of the love of God, His commandments are a blessing and not a burden. How is that the case? I don't know if you've read the Ten Commandments lately, but I'm going to pipe through them here pretty quickly so that we can just get refreshed on the commandments, and you can decide if these are burdensome or not, okay? As you think about obeying the Ten Commandments, uh, think about them this way. The litmus test for our love for God and our love for others is shown in our obedience of these commandments. So flip over to Exodus chapter 20. Check these out. A few of them will be, or they'll be on the screen. Uh, some of them have been shortened, but they'll be on the screen for you uh, as we do that. 
John is telling us in 1 John 5 that our love for one another and our love for God is in our obedience of keeping these commandments. So let's take a slow roll through them. Exodus chapter 20. Here's here's the text. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. First one. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Verse 12, the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So, that's all the Ten Commandments. And according to 1 John 5, our love for God and our love for one another is in our obedience or our upholding of those, if you will. So let's take another slow, thro- slow roll through them. And I want you to just take stock personally of where you're at on your personal devotion to these particular things and on your personal obedience, whatever commandment we hit. So here's the first one. You shall not have other gods before me. Exodus 20, verse 3. How are you doing with that? This is God right at the very front saying, hey, I come first. I'm primary. I'm at the top. I'm at the forefront of all things. Nothing else takes my place. Is that the case for you? Is God actually primary in your life? Is he come first? Second one is, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or, that's in the, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of our fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. The second commandment is kind of a continuation of the first, isn't it? It's, it's this idea that if God is first, then we can't have any sort of idols in it. Exodus 20 makes sense of 1 John 5 for us, and then vice versa. 
this second commandment, in its continuation of the first commandment, has to do with idols. How are you doing with idols? You don't have any carved images probably on your mantle, but what about your job? What about your kids? What about your investment into family? What about your youth sports involvement? What about your pleasures? What about your leisures? What about the things that you feel entitled to? How are those? So if you really consider this second commandment, what gets in the way of the Lord, even if it's a good thing, is if it's too much of a good thing, that's an idol. Now, Christians are professionals at acting like idols aren't idols. For instance, if you care about your kid's education, you wouldn't set out intentionally to make that an idol, but subtly and in a slippery way, it becomes one. You wouldn't set out to make your job or your career or your vocation an idol, because after all, it's just a job when you got into it, but subtly and in a slippery way, pretty soon, it's consumed you. So here's the second commandment. How are you doing with that? Third commandment is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This is a commandment about language, of course, and about your mouth and how you speak of the Lord. But it actually goes deeper than that because it spills over into our conduct, into our promises that we make, into the things that we would vow. So if you're a Christian and you're making promises and then you're breaking promises, well, then you're probably breaking the third commandment. We're only into the third one. How are we doing so far? Let's keep going. Look at the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I'm sure you're all, I don't know about you guys down here in Bellevue, but I'm sure you're probably really good at rest, right? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. This is a commandment not about checking out or binge watching Netflix or just vegging out. It's about legit rest and rest as worship where we stop producing, even with our anxious energy around the house, and we start resting in the fact that God is rich in his mercies and in his blessings and in his provisions, and we trust him. So, if God can create the world and take a day off, you can take a day off. Men and women, if you're preoccupied with your work and you're just popping emails off every now and then, then We're not upholding the fourth commandment. The fifth commandment. Fifth commandment is about you and your parents. Honor your father and your mother. There's ten of these. How are you doing? First John 5 says, they're not a burden. I don't know about you, but the the fifth commandment for me is actually the hardest. Uh, Due to my relationship with my parents... Honoring my father and mother is a difficult commandment to uphold. I need a lot of grace here. I need a lot of love here. And I need a lot of community here. Encourage me into this commandment because of my story. Now, maybe all of you have a fantastic relationship with mom and dad. I bet you in a room this size that there's some issues in your family. 
And at the same time, this commandment is true for us to honor, to bring honor to our father and mother. Honor is hard enough in our culture. Bringing honor to our parents can be difficult as well. I preached a whole sermon on this commandment earlier in the year because it's a difficult commandment for me. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder. Finally, a commandment you can keep, most of us, right? Finally, it takes six commandments to get there, but here we are. And as soon as I say that, you're like, yes, I have a shot. What about your lack of love for others? What about your malice in your heart? What about the people that you avoid? What about your subtle frustrations with people that eventually gives birth to anger and then eventually that gives birth to your avoidance? You haven't killed them, but in your mind, they're dead to you. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. This is one of those commandments that sneaks up on us in the church because nobody who's getting married says, you know what, I plan on getting married and then committing adultery. Nobody would marry that person, right? That's crazy. And so this is a commandment that sneaks up on us. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm faithful in my marriage, and if I get married, I plan on being faithful in my marriage. And so this is a commandment, too, that I think I can, I can uphold. But let's talk about how pornography has already ripped the sheets off your marriage bed. Or let's talk about the lust for other men or other women and what you do with those thoughts. Let's talk about your fantasies. That's what the, the seventh commandment wants to do. The eighth commandment, we're almost done. Hang in there with me. I know this is deeply encouraging. First John 5 says, these are not a burden, by the way. The eighth commandment, you shall not steal. Now, everybody knows that stealing is wrong. You don't even have to go to church to figure that out. You don't even have to read the commandments to know that, right? It's just in us. We just know that stealing is wrong. And this is why there's extra cops around. There's extra security around right now at this time of year to give that presence of, hey, don't take stuff, right, when you're Christmas shopping. And everybody else knows that other people's things aren't their things, which also means that I'm taking, if I'm stealing from you, I'm taking what God has given you and, and taking it as mine. And this is a commandment not just about stealing, but of stewardship. How do I steward what God has given me? My money, my stuff, my belongings, and my time. How do I not just give God and the church some leftovers if I have some time and if I have some money, but how do I give God my best and not let other things take my time. We steal because we always want more than what God has given us. And what about the time that you sold that car on Craigslist and then just the dude asked you if you could maybe just lower the bill of sale? Or what about that time you bought the car and you were like, ah, this is going to ding me pretty good at the DMV and Nebraska's in the top five, I think, uh, for when it comes to wheel tax, Right? These commandments, they eat at us. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Maybe you hear this one and think, hey, I'm not a liar. I got this. I tell the truth. I am an honest individual. But what about the parts of the story that we don't tell? 
We're not necessarily lying. We're just not being completely truthful, right? Or how about when people say, hey, how are you doing? And you lie to them and say, fine, right? You aren't always good. You're not always fine. And so lying just has this subtle, deceitful way into us. The 10th commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Anybody covet their neighbor's ox or donkey lately? Probably not, right? But man, how about ah, if I just had what they had? Life seems to throw us a lot of curveballs. And you know, it doesn't seem that way for them over there. Their life seems put together. It seems like they have what they need. Not only what they need, but what they want. Man, my neighbor got a new car. Wish I could have a new car. I can't be happy for my neighbor having a new car if I'm coveting his life and his car, right? And, and scripture says, hey, how am I going to love my neighbor if I'm coveting his life? I can't. And so that's the 10th and final commandment. And there's this thing that happens in your 30s, if it hasn't happened already, that I've discovered that um, the people in your life stage in normal vocations outside of full-time ministry start grabbing the next rung in their career and they start passing you up. And they start grabbing the next house the bigger house, the nicer car, the better life insurance policy. And you start going, hmm, I think we're at the ceiling. And we start to covet. Here's Philip Graham Ryken on his book on the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments can be reduced to two commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. That's First John 5, by the way. So they're all about love. We love God by worshiping Him and using His name properly, he says. We love our parents by honoring them. We love our spouses by being faithful to them. We love our neighbors by protecting their lives, respecting their property, and telling them the truth. The God who gave these commandments is a God of love who wants us to love Him and to share His love with others. As Jesus said, Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. John 14, 21. If that's true, then we cannot separate God's law from God's love. Back over to 1 John 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God. How do we know? This is where the Bible just tells you exactly what's going on in your life. When we love God and obey His commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And then there's this magnificent sentence in verse 3. And His commandments are not burdensome. How is that the case? Before we popped through those commandments, I asked you to take stock personally as we did that. And here's the thing, that's great, but the commandments were given to a people 
not a person. The commandments were given to a people and not a person. So that means that obeying the commandments is not just a personal charge, it's a communal charge. God gave Moses those commandments for a people, not just a person. They weren't just for Moses, right? He was to get those commandments and take them down to God's people. So this means that obeying the commandments affects everyone and breaking the commandments has implications on everyone. And how I'm personally doing that up the street in Omaha affects you in Bellevue because we're all a part of the church, capital C. And that means that as this church upholds the commandments and breaks the commandments and then repents together about those, this church is affected, this nucleus here in Bellevue is affected by those things because our love for one another and our love for God flows out of our obedience for those. Which is why in 1 John we hear this constant refrain of loving God and loving other people. And then in 1 John 5 he says, If you want to love God, if you want to love his people well, uphold my commandments. As an individual, for sure, do your part. And as a single person, yes. And as a married couple, great. But as a church, do it. So in other sections of 1 John, he charges us to live in the light. Why? Because you're going to become more holy. You're going to become more honest. You're going to become more true. And as that happens, the church will be healthier and more holy. And then God's commandments become a blessing and not a burden. And so, because of the love of God, His commandments are a blessing and not a burden. So think about it communally. Don't think about it just individualistically like America wants you to think. Think about it as First City Church. How are we doing with the commandments? Listen to J.I. Packer and catch his vision for what I'm trying to say here. Suppose people generally began to say, By God's help, I will live by the Ten Commandments every day from now on. I will set myself to honor God and obey Him. I will take note of all that He says. I will be in church for worship each week. I will not commit adultery or indulge myself in lust or stir up lust in others. I will not steal nor leave the path of total honesty. I will not lie or cheat. I will not envy or covet. Community life would be transformed and massive national problems would dissolve overnight. It's something more to pray and work for. Suppose all churches and congregations were ablaze with zeal for God and for personal holiness, and for national righteousness. Why, that would be revival. Revival is a divine visitation of communities, and its moral force is unrivaled. When God quickens His church, the tremendous purging power that overflows transforms the moral tone of a society in a way that nothing else can do. So what if instead of asking, how am I doing, we started asking, how are we doing? And what if we started to catch this vision that, man, if we helped each other love God and love one another wholeheartedly, then we could probably change this city. 
okay, maybe that's too big of a vision. Maybe, maybe if we loved God and loved each other wholeheartedly and helped each other live in the light and repent and uphold the commandments together, we could at least change our gospel community. We could at least change our neighborhood, right? And then that would be revival breaking in. Now, you think of some crazy preacher from Omaha saying that revival could break into your church. I believe that it can if you actually believe 1 John 5 is real and true. If you could uphold these commandments together, then you would love one another wholeheartedly. I uh, was at a, uh, a big business here in Omaha this last week. We had our elders retreat. Uh, apparently, that's the thing to do right now. It sounds like uh, that's what First City did recently. And so we take three days away, and we strategize. That's our staff guys, and we process a lot. We did this at this really large business here in town. And so the owner of this business takes us down into the kind of the, just the, the nooks and crannies of this construction company, big, huge company with this brand new building. And I li- I'm kind of a redneck at heart, and I'm kind of a like tool guy, and I'm, I, I like, like remodeling and stuff like that. And so some of the other guys are like, not interested, but I'm like, hey, how, I asked him this question, I'm like, hey, how do you like keep track of stuff? I want to know how you like, in this large of an industry, in this large of a company, how do you keep track of your tools? So then he was like, well, thanks for asking. And then he showed me this thing where like all of his foremen have this app on their phone and then they go to this desk and they like have an employee whose job is to give the other employees tools. So that's how big of a company it is, right? And so this, this, you scan this thing, you scan the guy's phone, and he's in charge of that tool. And he said, we had to start doing this because what happened was other guys started stealing tools off of other guys' trucks. And so pretty soon we started, so I said, hey, so like if I lose a tool and I work for you, does that just like come out of my paycheck? How does that work? He says, well, first it's, we scan it to see if we can locate it. It can probably be at your job site. Uh, and, then, and then we actually have just this huge pot of bonus money at the end of the year. So it doesn't come out of your check. It comes out of all of our checks. And so now, as an employee and as a, just a normal construction dude on a job site, I obviously want all the tools back in the shop at the end of the day. Because I don't want you messing with my bonus money, right? And so there's this incentive that, hey... If we actually did all this stuff together and you stopped stealing stuff from the company, we would actually get more money at the end of the year. Now, that analogy breaks down because that's not how it works in the church. But here's what I'm saying. 1 John 5 says, if we loved one another well, and if we did all this work together, and if we honored God, and we honored God by obeying his commandments, we would be a healthier place. We would be a better people. And because of the love of God, we can see that his commandments are a blessing and not a burden. How are they not a burden? Well, Exodus chapter 20, again, verse 2, says this. Before he gives the commandments, it says this. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So he's reminding the Israelites right away, hey, remember my grace. Remember that before he's going to give them all these commandments, he says, hey, remember that I'm the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, 
out of the house of slavery. He reminds them of his grace right away. So you have that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. And so before God even gives these commandments to his people, he reminds them of his grace. And in 1 John 5, these come on the heels of Jesus Christ and his glorious gospel. I heard another pastor say it this way. These are not super ethics for super Christians, but these commandments are rules of life for liberated people. That's how they're not a burden. Because we're basking in the love of Christ towards us, and so therefore that propels my obedience, that propels my desire to even want to obey. So if you're a Christian here today, you can bask in the grace and in the freedom of God towards you and freely uphold these commandments. Just a moment ago, when we clipped through those commandments one by one, there's a good chance that you felt some conviction from the Holy Spirit come upon you. And then I said, hey, we're all affected by your breaking of whatever commandment it is. And that's still true. But here's the good news. Jesus is looking specifically for the people who cannot get their act together. So we hear these commandments and all we feel is law. Like, oh man, I'm not killing anybody, but I'm really not. I'm just kind of blowing it. Jesus is looking specifically for those of us who cannot get get their act together. I can assure you that I would not be up here today if that were not true. You cannot keep these commandments by sheer willpower, which means that you also can't love God and love others out of just sheer willpower. You need the liberating freedom of Christ in you to even care about some people, let alone live the commandments out for yourself, for your family, for the church. So if we see the commandments as a burden, then the gospel hasn't yet soaked fully in. And if you're a rule follower, this is a rough Sunday for you. I need you to hear me on this. If you're a rule follower and all you hear is like, okay, yes, 10 rules. I know those rules. Those are the rules for living. And that's all you hear. Then you're going to walk out those doors and you're going to stick your hand in the blender. And that's going to hurt. Okay, you got to instead see these commandments as not a burden because the smile of God is upon his people and day and night his steadfast love is sustaining his people. And as it does that, by his grace, we as his disciples and as this particular church, we look for the places that we have yet to surrender to him. And we look at our weaknesses We look at our finite selves, our weak selves, and we look at the tender spots of our lives that we want to hide, we want to mask. We look at those stubborn spots where we want to protect them, and we unburden all of this by looking to a God who will never, ever say no to us. That is how the commandments become unburdened. His mercies are new, and even as we fail to uphold them, we are strengthened by the love of Christ towards us. So we look to Christ. We look to Christ individually on a Tuesday morning. We look to Christ together and communally in moments like today when we gather on Sunday, because it only takes six days for me to forget everything, right? 
We gather again on Wednesday night in our gospel communities because I need to be reminded by the people of God that God is gaining ground and that He wants work to be done here in Bellevue, Nebraska. And so I'm committed and we're here and let's do this. And I need the love of God in me. I need the love of God to pull me forward in life for myself and for the good of everybody else around me. So here's what First City doesn't need. It doesn't need your Christian life trying to look like a good Christian life. The fastest way to become a terrible Christian is to try to look like a good one. You'll be defeated really quickly, and you'll be really weak. And even if you are a little bit stronger, you'll be hard to be around. So you can't get the power to obey the Ten Commandments from the Ten Commandments. In order to uphold these commandments, in order for them to not become a burden... We must look and we must gaze and we must stare at the glory of Christ and what he has done on our behalf so that we can be strengthened. This is why it's called good news, friends. It's called good news. It's news. It's not instruction. So we have to read the news before we read the instructions. And the news announces, hey, it is finished. The news does not say get to work. So how do we know how we're doing? How do we know? How do I know how I'm doing at loving God? How do I know that how I'm doing at loving other people or my neighbors or the people in my gospel community? Here's how. By this we know we love the children of God, that's others, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not a burden. So, because of the love of God, his commandments are not a burden. Lastly, because of the love of God, our faith gives purpose to living in this world. The life we live in this world, we live by faith in the Son of God. And so that means that the God of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and the God of 1 John 5 is the same God of December 2018 and into 2019, Okay? The message of the world is similar to Y2K. Do you, those of you who remember Y2K, it's kind of like that now on steroids. Like 1999 rolls in and everybody has to buy a generator because the world's going to end. And hey, you just never know what's going to happen. And there's all these crazy people trying to tell you, hey, get ready. Like it's about to be the rapture, right? But now instead of the fear of the world ending, we find ourselves in a crazy political climate. Super polarizing, super intense. And on top of our political climate, we have violence everywhere. Every city, state, most schools freak out a little bit. Every nation has seen its share of crazy. So instead of buy a generator like they told us before 2000 hit, it's hide your kids, hide your wife, and be ready, right? Fear tactics are the normal playbook in the world. But in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Later on in chapter 16, he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And God knows that the world is trying to chew you up and spit you out 
And so he knows the playbook of the world. And, and that's why 1 John 5 reminds us, hey, 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 your faith in Christ has to be unwavering. The victory is found in Christ. That's the language he uses. We have victory in the world through Christ. And our faith rests in that. It clings to that. Sometimes it's holding on for dear life to that. And at other times, it's comfortably confirmed and exhorted. And we see new ground being gained. But either way, because of God's love towards us, our faith propels us into a world that needs hope. So you might say, hey, my faith, it doesn't really propel me anywhere. At best, it's pretty fickle. That's fantastic. Because faint-hearted faith is better than no faith at all. So cling to that faith and let others encourage that faith. And let others answer your skepticism along the way. Church, these few verses in 1 John 5 are really clear to us today. That our faith in God and our love for God helps us believe God. And it assists us to know that keeping the commandments gives us victory in the world. Not in a legalistic, religious way, but in a liberating, free way because of what Christ has done. So, First City Church, because of the love of God, you are a liberated people. Because of the love of God, you can uphold, esteem, and honor God's commandments, both individually, but more importantly, as a community. And your love for one another will be unlike anything that has ever happened in this area. And just maybe, revival might break in. And when you break the commandments, may your love for one another be deep enough that you confess your sins to one another and that you would pray with one another. And this too would just deepen your grace and your gratitude to God for what He has already shown you. And as you do all of this, your neighbors, your coworkers, your associates, your families, your kids, they will be intrigued. And they will ask questions. And so may you be bold enough, confident enough, courageous enough to answer with the love of God, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ that says, hey, the good news has broken in. God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ.